Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Welcome, one and all, to episode 238 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the chapter 14 episode of the SLS Cast. Now, you might ask yourself, what the hell does chapter 14 have to do with anything uh, 238? And I'll tell you, because turns out that uh, page 238 is chapter 14 called... Nor- Norbert the Norwegian Ridgeback from the very first Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yes, today marks 20 years since the breakthrough novel that was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or as it was known in its native Great Britain, Harry Potter. And the Philosopher's Stone. And with that wonderful little bit of sideways, eventually get there, Harry Potter info, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. And what do you mean by 20 years old today? You mean on June 26th, 2017, it's 20 years old. That is correct. Yes. June, as of June 26th. As we record. So is that the the UK release of Harry Potter, or was yes. it the US? When did the US get the books? You know, I'm not sure. I just happened to see an article today that was saying, on this day in history, Harry Potter came out. I'm just going to go with that. I'm sure the purists <laughs> really only would count sorcerer, Philosopher's Stone anyway. So, yeah. I don't know. Leave me alone, Tim. I'm winding down... The last precious minutes of my life before forty with you this evening. So, oh, that's that's right. You're you're, uh, you're kicking off your birthday party uh, this coming up weekend, where you're going to be traveling back to the year 1997, I believe. That was last oh, weekend. Fuck. I thought yes, it was this weekend. That's what we did. No, sir. We did it. Uh, it was Saturday. Saturday night. We had. Uh, I had all my friends and uh, actually even had some family come in. I was pretty impressed. Um, and we, we basically treated it like it was 1997. I was declaring 40 the new 20. And so we decided to do things that were all from 1997. And Jen really went out of her way. She literally plastered the whole house with printouts of virtually every fucking movie that came out in 1997. Um, which coincidentally, one of the movies we wanted to watch together after going through all these movies, oh, well, what have you seen? What haven't you seen? What would you want to see again? Blah, 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 blah. We were planning on watching Air Force One. So our bonus segment for next week is fortuitous because now we get to do Did It Age Well for Air Force One. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But, um, yeah, so we did that. We had the YouTube playlist of like, 300 songs of all the songs from 97. We did karaoke and we were singing the songs of 1997 and whatnot. Turns out I can do a mean, um, weird guy from Aqua impression with the Barbie song and whatnot. So that was fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just had a great time. And I, I didn't, I actually didn't drink very much at my party. Because God, the night again? before, I had a couple of... What do you mean, God, again? Well, I mean, you were sober for your block party, and now you're sober for your birthday. What gives, man? What gives? 
Well, because I was literally recovering from the night before, uh, where I had drank way, way too much. And so I had, um, I really basically at my birthday party, I had about a beer because I had, I, yeah, I had gone through a lot of whiskey the night before and many, many, many 10% beers the night before. So I definitely, don't get me wrong, I partied over my birthday weekend, just not at the birthday party because I was stupid and had overdone it the night before. But um, at any rate, yeah, I had a nice time. It was good. I guess if I get the chance to turn 40 again, I would do it again. For your 60th birthday party, are you going to have a 2017-themed birthday party? <laughs> Maybe. I just have a feeling all they do is just pull up the show and just listen, let that go for like three hours and people will be sad. You wasted your time on that! <laughs> they will all cheer. So, how was your week, sir? Oh, my week was very interesting. I went to a special event this past Saturday. Well, I mean, I guess the the most exciting thing that happened this past weekend or this past week was going to see Roger Waters, the Roger Waters from Pink Floyd twice at the Staples Center. But, I mean, I can't really tell fun stories about that one. Uh, but on uh, on Saturday, the, the event I went through, went through, actually, I did go through it. Because I had to go through a door to get into it. But I also had to take a journey while at this event. And that journey involved me getting really high. Really, really high. Uh, because the event was a weed event. And I really don't know what the technical or the formal word is for this weed event. So the best thing I can do is try to describe it to you. And Matt, maybe you can help me out with this. I, I don't know. I live in L.A., and it's very L.A. weed-friendly and whatnot, but this place was fucking... I've never been to a place this interesting. Well, a friend of mine, we were getting together to go to happy hour last Saturday, get some cheap-ass tacos and, and drinks and whatnot, and he said, oh, hey, man, my buddy from college, he now works for this weed company. They're throwing some kind of event tonight, and we ought to go to this event. Uh, he's going to put us on the list and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, sure, whatnot, you know. I'm wearing shorts right now and a graphic tee. Can I still get in? Is there a dress code? No, man, my buddy, yada, 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 he wears shorts and graphic tees all the time. And it's like, well, when's the last time you saw him? In college. Granted, that was fucking 15, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Surely he's still wearing graphic tee and shorts now, especially if he's working at this weed joint. So we get there, and it's in an unmarked building. Purple lights, you can see it through the frosted glass windows and the frosted glass door. You go in there, and they had all these stations set up. It was an all-white room, so it felt like you were in, like, an art studio space. Tudor ceiling with some, like, trippy kind of, like, concert light shit spiraling around. And, but then you have, like, these art stations, which in these art stations, I was looking in these glass enca encasements, just thinking to myself, wow, this art's kind of bizarre looking. And then I found out that those were all bongs and pipes that were molded by some bong and pipe craftsmen from some... I don't know, some mountain somewhere, probably. And they cost like $10,000. 
So that was amazing. But regardless, so they had all these stations. Uh, they, they had all these hors d'oeuvres being passed around, like duck and lamb wrapped in yada, yada, yada. Uh, surprisingly, not injected with weed. Everything else was. You had your bar. Outside, they had, like, a, a street fighting console thing set up to where you can go out and do, like, competitive street fighter and... Uh, the video game, not the not actual street fighting, but then like they had all like the actual weed stations where you go and you can do dabbing, like when you're smoking like the really high concentrate stuff, and then they were passing around like free vape pens and free nuggets of bud, and they were th- giving away like these huge ass freaking joints and spliffs and just all this crazy stuff. But what really capped the evening off for me, like other than the delicious food, the non weed lace food and the weed lace food because apparently you can lace the shit out of caramel and you can put that caramel on anything and it's delicious but what topped the night off is the guy who owns this company and what i later found out was that it was a club where you pay like four thousand bucks a year to be able to go into this club whenever you want openly smoke Talk to your friends, and maybe you get some free weed every once in a while. But it's like a, you know, it's it's a club. And it's like, a, if you want to go for a day, it's like 52 or 53 bucks or something like that. Which is kind of nuts in, in my book. I can't fucking afford it. I'll just smoke at home, or smoke in my car, or smoke anywhere else other than inside of that building. But so the owner of the place reminded me of some Silicon Valley millionaire type of guy who was just really excited and building like I had no idea what the fuck was going on by the time I got really high I had no idea where this was leading to but he just came out and just started yelling at us and yelling at everybody in in the in the building who were there to see him who was there to see him and each segment he would introduce a new strain of weed that they're going to be promoting at their space and he just kept building it up and it was insane and on top of that there was a fog machine going and we were right next to the fog machine and every time he would do something very thematic and yell it at us and you know and what would we got here this new it's the skywalker og kush everybody starts you know cheering for this weed strand that i've had before so i'm pretty sure it's not new but the reason why people were cheering was because they were he was giving away for free every single thing he was talking about and then like as the evening was going on i just found myself kind of normally if i'm in front of a fog machine it bothers me so i move but i realized something was off when i was okay with being by this fog machine so me and the group of people i was with just kept staying by this fog machine and then we thought it was a little fishy when all these other motherfuckers were going right up to the nozzle of the fog machine and inhaling the fog that was coming out and then i quickly realized probably not quick enough because it was multiple hours later that wasn't fog but that was all drugs coming out of there it was a drug gas machine then it was midnight and i just realized i've just been breathing in drugs for the past five six hours or so and i didn't even realize it was five or six hours uh yeah what is that type of event called i have no idea what that type of event is called um it's the I've got a really interesting story to tell event because when you go there, you don't actually have one. But when you leave, you do have one. And I'm still left with the question that I had at the beginning of this, which is, uh, did you happen to see Roger's uh, Roger Waters, lesser known cousin, Muddy? But Muddy Waters? <laughs> 
I wonder if he's ever heard that before. Thanks for getting that. I figured you into music, you would at least you would understand that joke. So that's all right. Anyway, yeah. Well, that was that was definitely interesting. I know I was like, I I kind of felt like a little bit, and not in the condescending way, because I know it's meant to come across this way in the movie, but not in this particular instance for me. I kind of felt like Wesley when he's having the battle of wits, and he's like, "Truly, you have a dizzying intellect." It was just like listening to you put the story together and the pieces that you were putting the story together and then all of a sudden four thousand dollars comes out of you and then oh i don't know just a, you know i'd go that you go there for a day and just pay like 52 or 53 dollars and then i'm like wow I was... <laughs> so, that's cool man i'm gonna be looking forward to listening to this show i ain't gonna lie i'm gonna be looking forward to listening to this episode Anyway, uh, well, it sounds like we've definitely had some fun. So, should we check the old mail sack? Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. All right, well, (laughs) rather fortuitously, Johnny has sent us an email. Our good friend Johnny White Trash of the old Johnny White Trash show has sent us an email. And his subject is... Haven't seen it. And he writes, I don't really have anything important to say. I'm just emailing in because I don't want to be driving around listening to my favorite movie podcast and hear the email jingle end with castration noises. (laughs) 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 That being said, I do have a movie question. Every now and then, someone will find out I haven't seen a certain movie, the most recent example being Gremlins, and they stare at me like I was the one who knocked the ice cream off their cone when they were nine. I was wondering if either of you have any, quote, must-see, end quote, movies you get weird looks for not having seen. That is a fantastic question, Johnny. Tim, are, are you willing to bare your soul and come clean and admit to not having seen something like Austin Powers or something like that? Usually I'm the one giving people that look, especially at work, working at a at a movie studio and realizing how most of the people I run into haven't seen that much stuff. But amongst, I guess, movie folk, I guess when it comes to older movies, well, let's see. I've never seen Sophie's Choice because once I learned of her choice, I passed. But if we wanted to go into more shocking territory, maybe Dr. Zivago? Really? I know I've never seen that one fully, and it's always been on my list to go back and rewatch. Let's see. What is the movie that... We were just talking about this. Jen was like, I can't believe you haven't seen the... Oh! Here's one, kind of an oddball one, but it did come up in conversation just today. I've never seen Speed 2. Ooh, Cruise Control. Yes. And, and and my wife was like, you, you've seen like every action movie. You love Keanu Reeves. You love Sandra Bullock. Uh, why would you, how could you have not seen uh, Speed 2? And, and I think even Willem Dafoe is the bad guy in Speed 2. He and, is. Yeah. yeah, and she's like, so you love all these actors and actresses. You, you know, you, you've seen Speed. You like Speed. How did you not see Speed? And she is my wife. How dare my wife? Okay, my wife. The list of movies she hasn't seen is just ungodly at this point, right? Um, but no, she, she, she deigned to uh, be upset at me for not having sp- seen Speed Two, and I tell her the same thing. I'll tell you, even then. 
I looked at that movie and saw the trailers and was like, wow, that's going to look, that's just going to be stupid. There's just no way. And I was right. I feel vindicated. This movie is not, you know, this movie is not seen as a great career choice by anyone involved. Well, Speed 2 is definitely the legend of Curly's gold of speed movies, <laughs> I guess. But, and the sad part is, is I have seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking City Slickers 2. <sighs> Indeed. Indeed. So that was fun. Oh, well, maybe, maybe some way, somehow we can squeeze in a haven't seen it segment where we come clean about some movie that we should have seen by now. And I don't know. Cry it out. Hug it out. Exactly. Support each other. Yeah, something like that anyway. At any rate. And then, um, we also have, uh, about an, uh, it was just under 30, 30. I think it was 29, it was either 28 or 29 more Twitter followers. Uh, so thank you very much for following us on Twitter. And as always, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, please follow us at the SLS cast. And if you want to send us an email, just like Johnny did about not having seen stuff and getting cross-eyed looks or really just about anything you'd like to talk to us about, uh, feel free to send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. And without further ado, I believe it's time for the news. Is it not, sir? Let's do it. And here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> First up, from me, from Variety.com, by way of Brent Lang. Uh, let's see here. And as of June 20th, this was an exclusive for Variety. Shocker! Daniel Day-Lewis quits acting! And I'm adding this again? Question mark? <laughs> But this is this is the article. Three-time Oscar winner Daniel Day-Lewis, widely considered one of the preeminent actors of his generation, is retiring from acting. Variety has learned the 60-year-old star, who has played presidents, writers, and gang leaders in a career that has spanned four decades, has one final film awaiting release: an untitled drama set in the world of high fashion. It is scheduled to hit theaters on December 25th, 2017, and reunites him with Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed Day-Lewis in to a Best Actor. Oscar in 2007's There Will Be Blood. Daniel, I'm sorry, Day-Lewis intends to help promote the movie according to a person familiar with his plans. Um, no real statements or anything other than that, and uh, that's really just the very first part of that article. There's at least another 80% of that article for you to read, and I would definitely recommend you doing so. Uh, goes over his career and whatnot. Um, thoughts, Tim? This is pretty interesting news. I, I had heard rumors that he had retired once before. And I'm not trying to say that he's pulling a Miyazaki by any stretch of the imagination. But um, do you think he is? Do you think he's done? Well, Day-Lewis is the wild card. You know, he, he's one of the wild card actors. Like, if he is going to say that he's going to retire, I think he might actually retire. And for God's sakes, he's a cobbler. <laughs> he he like he makes his own shoes and he lives in Ireland and he has a lovely little family and he enjoys the little things in life and he never wanted to be a big time successful crazy movie star that's why we never see him in Hollywood or 
We never see him do so many interviews or take really crappy roles. He's very pick and choosy, so good for him. I mean, he's what, maybe in his, he's like in his 60s now? He, he is exactly 60. 60? Yeah, he yes. has kids. He's got a wife. He's got shoes that need to be mended. Why not? There you go. Right on, man. Take it away. What do you got for us? All right. First up for me via filmschoolrejects.com, forcing the franchise for foreign fans, a Transformers box office story. This here is written by Christopher Campbell, and it says this. It's nothing new that Hollywood produces a lot of its blockbusters primarily for the foreign markets. Three years ago, Transformers Age of Extinction was clearly made with Chinese audiences in mind, more so than any others in the world. So now, it should be no surprise that Americans have all but given up on the franchise. Transformers Last Night took in an estimated $45 million in its opening weekend. $45 million compared that to Age of Extinction's $100 million. And before that, to Dark of the Moon's 98 million. And before that, to Revenge of the Fallen's 109 million. And before that, to the original Transformers 71.1 million. Actually, I added that 0.1. It's just 71 million. It's almost a laughing matter. With reportedly the highest budget of the franchise yet at 217 million, you'd think this was a flop for Paramount. But The Last Night is still a decent-sized hit in disguise because, of course, it still made $196 million overseas. That just barely puts the movie in the top 20 highest overseas openings of all time between the fifth Harry Potter and third Iron Man. But it is weighed down from the last two. Age is in 14th place with $202 million. Dark is in 10th place with $220 million. Where it lost us North America, though, Transformers understandably gained more fans in China, even without shooting the new movie there or featuring any local pop stars and cameos. The Last Night did a franchise best in the country, with $123 million, age only debuted there at $92 million. Compared to age, opening grosses were down in all other foreign markets where it debuted this past week. But it would seem there's not just Transformers fatigue in America, but all over the globe except for China. The question is, are there still enough fans worldwide? At least in China, if it comes down to that, to justify not just the continuation of the Transformers series, but a new cinematic universe full of prequels and spin-offs and more. Although only one such prequel spin-off is definitely in the works right now, the 1980s set Bumblebee, due in theaters in one year, Paramount has intended to do more. Many writers have been developing possible ideas for other ways to branch out, maybe even cross over with other properties. Michael Bay has revealed that there are at least a dozen or so ideas he'd like made, and The Last Night itself teases a greater scope for the franchise. Um, do, 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 and I'm going to skip down a paragraph or two here. Universal's The Mummy is supposed to launch a web of interrelated remakes featuring Frankenstein's monster, his bride, the invisible man, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and more. But that first movie is a box office disappointment. The studio isn't canceling the plan, but there is certainly concern for the future of the Dark Universe franchise. 
80% of its growth so far has come from overseas, with its highest numbers again coming from China. The Mummy director Alex Kurtzman defended the movie with the old, quote, we made a film for audiences and not critics, end quote line, but that's not entirely correct. He made a movie for international audiences and not American audiences or critics. The Mummy's clear favoring of stunts and spectacle over story on the level that it does so can only be tolerated by viewers with a language barrier who don't pay attention to the script. Once upon a time, Hollywood produced separate versions of movies for foreign audiences. Dracula, one of the early Universal Monster movies, is a famous example where there was an English language version and a Spanish language version, as in two distinct movies, not just different dubs. It's almost as if the studios are doing that again today, but they produce a version for China and then nothing for Americans. And the article does go on from there. Uh, if you want to read more about it, do check it out. Again, that was via filmschoolrejects.com, Forcing the Franchise for Foreign Fans, a Transformers box office story written by Christopher Campbell. Matt, what do you think about all this? My question simply becomes this. Who's more wrong? <laughs> the fool or the fool who follows him? No, seriously. All right, so... Are we here in the States, domestically, have we become, you know, let's put, I'll, I'll put it nicely, too sophisticated? Or let's put it a little bit less nicely. Are we just too fucking good for ourselves? Are we too fucking full of ourselves to be able to enjoy a movie? Or are the studios at this point pandering to audiences because they think these audiences don't know any better? Like, are, are the audience, are, are they... Are the studios literally attempting to to insult the rest of the world's collective intelligence? And it's a difficult question to ask because neither one really has a good outcome. Either we're too stuck up and we're too good, um, or they're, you know, I guess because the the movie's making money internationally, the other people are stupid. I, it doesn't. Something, there is a disconnect happening here. And it's one thing if you want to say that, um, we just, we're just tired of it after all this time or anything else. But, it, but I mean, there is something going on where clearly the rest of the world is making money. But at the same time, we don't, you know, they don't need us anymore. And that's okay too. So you know what? How about we take, I, I thought we were done. I really and truly thought this was kind of supposed to be like the end of Transformers. And now you're telling me there's 12 more fucking ideas out there and they got the, they got this offshoot bumblebee shit next year. I'm like, you know what? How about just direct a DVD for us? You know, I don't think anybody here is going to care. Just give it to, give it to the countries, the international markets that want it. Make it for them. Take your two and three and four hundred million dollars and just be done. Because at least this way, you won't be a laughing stock on your own home turf. And you can say, oh, I'm going to cry all the way to the bank. The problem is, is that when you make enough turds here, then you don't get to try your new stuff here that you need to make succeed because everybody's just going to turn around and go, well, they've just produ been producing Transformers bullshit. Right? They've just been producing Tom Cruise level idiocy 
and nothing gets taken seriously, which means when you need something to take off in the zeitgeist of the U.S., because for whatever reason, that seems to be uh, a, a very large cultural factor in what happens in movies to a certain degree, right, wrong, indifferent, just, you know, this seems to be the case. Um, you're not going to have any credibility anymore because you've just been giving us shit. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I would say probably the best thing to do is if they do decide to do these offshoots, they just need to do them. They, they need to not release them here in the United States. Um, until we can figure out what the disconnect is. Because I don't, I don't like assuming that the rest of the world you know, is somehow beneath anybody else. And I don't like to think that we're so full of ourselves that we can't appreciate fun because neither of those options seem to be very favorable. And that's, that's what I have to say about that, sir. I I get it. But I kind of think that the U S audience, the, you know, the, the movie goers in the U S collectively, I think we're all just kind of getting tired of these movies And we've kind of reached a point, especially with Transformers and Michael Bay, where we're all making fun of Michael Bay now. And we're all making fun of Transformers now, and mainly Michael Bay. So I think now that we're all collectively making fun of Michael Bay, I think a lot of people... It's even more important for him not to release anything else in the States? (laughs) I I guess so. But I, I I think that may have something to do with the reason why people just really don't care as much anymore. I'm not saying that maybe like, you know, people like us, we open their eyes a little bit more. But I think after three movies or four, shit, no, this is the fifth movie. After four mm-hmm. or five movies, you know, I think any any person that was going to let anything slide for a long period of time, after the third or fourth one, might start asking questions. And then once they start looking at the runtime of the movie, and then maybe they're paying more attention to the Rotten Tomatoes score than they maybe did years before, you know, that's going to maybe, that's going to probably keep them from wanting to go and, and spend their money and potentially waste money. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, I think that we're better, but I definitely think there is a different mindset with with uh, the casual moviegoer and these Michael Bay Transformers movies. It's not just Transformers, but it's other movies as well. I mean, we, I mean, the article mentioned the Mummy. Granted, I do. I've heard a, many more people say they enjoyed the Mummy more so than the new Transformers movie. I'll be the first one to tell you. I know, Matt, you enjoyed The Mummy more than I did. But not 3.75. Exactly. I, not not 3.75. You you sandbagged me. <laughs> I'm, I'm at work. I, I know this has absolutely nothing to do with, with the article, and I apologize for this tangent real quick. Um, I'm at work yesterday, okay? And one of the guys that I'm working with, we're talking about the mummy and everything. And I'm like, man, I just didn't like it. You know, blah, 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 you know, and everything. And I was like, I can't remember if I gave it a 2.75 or a 2.5 or whatever. Da, da, da. So we go and we pull it up, and it was written as 3.75. And I'm like, I did not like that movie that much. <laughs> I don't know why it's 3. I'm like, now I don't know if I really said that. or I'm like, fuck, what did I say? <laughs> so you didn't give it a 3.75? No, I gave it a 2.75. Oh shit. What did I Hang on. <laughs> doo, doo, doo. I gave I gave it comes at night a 3.75. <laughs> yeah, I need to go fix that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 
yeah, so I mean, I just kind of think that like a lot of us, again, are just wisening up a little bit. And with ticket prices becoming more expensive and... But I also think Asia and China, I just don't think they're used to this stuff. I mean, look at five, five years ago, five, six years ago, within the last decade, when the U.S. started pushing hard into the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. So whenever we started, you know, introducing these movies to their, you know, at their at their theaters and became more and more popular, the kids that were growing up looked up to these movies, you know, like I'm, I'm speculating. I don't have any hard evidence here. So, of course, they grow up and they're going to want to go and spend their money to go to the movie theater because they hear, oh, shit, it's Michael Bay. It's a Transformers movie. Man, I really enjoyed it when I saw that one Transformers movie some years ago. I got to go see this. Or The Mummy. Oh, it's Tom Cruise. It's it's based on a, a universal property that's 100 years old or almost 100 years old. Just, you know, stuff like that. I think, you know, they still kind of get behind it. Just that that thought makes them excited and i just don't think they quite realize what they're going to get themselves into if it's anything like what we're dealing with with now but you know. and, and that's the thing and i know that i mentioned this last year with uh, ghostbusters and stuff i mean we're th- they are making movies with the international markets in mind I, I mean i get that i understand that entirely and i and that's why i don't want to you know try to i don't want to come off as holier than thou but i mean there's like I, like I mentioned in the pre-show, I mean, it's I know it's not just me. I know it's not just you. I know it's not people with a fucking functioning brain because Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone literally gave uh, the last night um, zero stars. The Rolling Stone said zero fucking stars. See, it's not just us. So I just you know I don't know, and and but I don't want to denigrate other people just because they like a movie. Um, I oh, guess yeah, and I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, and, and I guess maybe that's just it. Maybe, I know, and and I like uh, you know how I love to pick on Johnny about this, but perhaps international markets more than we do now just truly appreciate popcorn flicks. They like they just like to sit back, eat the popcorn, and you know enjoy the ride. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I just you know, and I guess as long as the studios make money. Who gives a shit, right? So, yeah, anyway. we're never going to see it. Speaking of studios with shitloads of money, from HollywoodReporter.com by way of Boris Kitt and Rebecca Ford, Star Wars Han Solo film loses directors. That's right. I think they lost a really good opportunity to say Han Solo solo film, but they... <laughs> I... I I would have appreciated that. They I thought that was definitely a wasted opportunity. Um Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are no longer directing the Han Solo Star Wars spin-off. Quote Phil Lord and Christopher Miller are talented filmmakers who have assembled an incredible cast and crew, but it's become clear that we had different creative visions on this film, and we've decided to part ways. A new director will be announced soon, end quote. Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm, said Tuesday. In a statement, uh, let's see, Lord and Miller reply, quote, unfortunately, our vision and process weren't aligned with our partners on this project. We normally aren't fans of the phrase, 
quote, creative differences, end quote. But for once, this cliche is true. We are really proud of the amazing and world-class work of our cast and crew, and all quotes from the statement of Lord Miller. Um, there's, there is a little bit more other than to say that the release date of May 25th, 2018 remains unchanged. Um, definitely feel free to jump, uh, to jump in and read the last of that article. Um, however, it was reported just a couple of days later, also Hollywood Reporter by way of Boris Kitt and Kim Masters, Ron Howard steps in to direct Han Solo movie. I'm sorry. On Solo, Solo movie. Uh, this, as of the 22nd of June, was an exclusive for The Hollywood Reporter. And they write, The Millennium Falcon has a new pilot. Ron Howard has been named as the new director of Lucasfilm and Disney's untitled Han Solo movie, or as I like to call it, Han Solo Solo movie. Sources tell The Hollywood Reporter exclusively. The official announcement... Uh, Let's see here. I don't know what I'm reading. We're going to go to another paragraph. The movie, uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. I can't see what's going on. All right. So basically, uh, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of the principal photography that's left, not a whole lot. And then a, six weeks of reshoots that were already planned into the schedule. That's pretty much all that's done. And then it's just, um, uh, and then it's just the post-production work. So it doesn't look like anything is, um, horribly, horribly wrong. Um, but at the same time, and, and, and again, Rogue One started off with Josh Trank and then that went to Hell in a Handbasket and that turned out okay. My problem isn't so much that they're having these issues and, and it seems that Lord and Miller have definitely, you know, taken it in stride and, and yes, it sucks and it doesn't sound like anybody was, you know, mishandling it or, um, you know, Island of Dr. Moreau kind of crap that like when we covered that documentary, but at the same time, stuff like this is definitely does shake the confidence of the potential moviegoer. It's, uh, worrisome for the studio. My real question is, I don't know that Howard's the right choice, not because he's not capable of doing good work, but because really and truly and honestly, his last few outings have not been hits. Um, it's not that they've been poor movies, like, oh my God, just terrible, terrible movies, but they haven't been the amazing Ron Howard material that we've come to know and love over the years. Um, and when you think about some of the really cool stuff that he's done, like the fun stuff, like Ed TV or some of his more serious stuff. Um, oh, God damn it. What was the movie with the, Apollo 13? Well, Apollo 13, but also the movie with the, with the about the fireman. Oh, Backdraft. Thank you. Backdraft. These movies are approaching 15 to 20 years ago that these movies came out. So, we're seeing, you know, we're, we're seeing the aging director. It's not that he doesn't have talent. It's not that he's not good. But, I mean, you've got a lot riding on your shoulders. So maybe it's just because because of his experience and his know-how that they believe he'll, you know, he, he can finish this up competently. And it's never fun to step into somebody else's shoes. But my question, I guess, is do you think Howard was a good choice? Uh, you know, I... I am not sure of what I've read about why they got rid of Lord and Miller, right? It's it's Phil Lord and Chris Miller, right? Or, yes, Phil Lord okay. and Chris Miller. Yeah. I think the reason the reason why they got rid of them is because I think Kathleen Kennedy, the producer and the writer didn't like their directing style. Apparently they would set up the shot, they would set up the scene, they would sit behind the camera and they would start calling out alternate lines 
for the actors to say. And so they were going off script. And apparently the Star Wars movies, they like to stay on script, especially because uh, you have like the likes of Lawrence Kasdan and all these other great professional writers that know what they're doing and they're the ones crafting and molding the story to make it all fit together. I think the last thing that they wanted was to have two young guys come in and 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 introduce a lot of improv to the film. So it didn't have a lot of structure to it. And that's what they were really wanting the producers is structure. So I, sure. I think at this point with bringing Ron Howard, a veteran director, I didn't see Inferno, but I did see In the Heart of the Sea I saw Rush, and Rush was mm-hmm. definitely the better movie he's made in the past Agreed. eight years. Agreed. And both of those, by the way, have been covered on our show, so you can search our archives and listen to those reviews. And Frost Nixon came out in 2008. So he's had a, he's had a couple really good movies in the past 10 years. So, and, and I know he likes the material. I know he's a fan of Star Wars, and he was one of the, the high-profile directors or, or celebrities who was actually defending... The Phantom Menace. Somebody tweeted out a letter that Ron Howard wrote to the New Yorker or in New York, or New York Times or some big media outlet or whatever who was commenting on the little the boys whoever played Anakin. Um, I forget his name right now. Uh, they were commenting on his acting, saying that it was awful and just being really mean to him. But Ron Howard stepped up and wrote them a, a letter back saying how he thought it was very unprofessional for this huge media outlet to be criticizing a nine-year-old's performance, even since you know they, they haven't seen the movie yet. This was before the movie even came out. So I know he's a big fan of the franchise, and... I, I don't know at this point. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm not a. I wasn't a huge fan of Rogue One. I wasn't head over heels about Star Wars: Force Awakens. So it's kind of like, bring it on. I mean, let, let's see what else we can get out of this franchise since we're experimenting with it. Fair enough. All right. Well, that is my news, sir. Bring us home. So I'm just gonna end it with this news with two little little fluff pieces here since we don't we're running out of time um i just want to mention this this is probably going to mean something to people out there uh who are into sports but uh, it means really nothing to me but via variety.com nba star kyrie irving's uncle drew commercials to get film treatment this here is written by justin kroll and just to provide you with some highlights it says this Sources tell Variety that Temple Hill Entertainment has acquired the feature film rights to Irving's Uncle Drew, Pepsi commercials. Skip Trace, scribe Jay Longino, is set to write the script and Irving is attached to reprise the role of Drew. Skip Trace was the Johnny Knoxville, Jackie Chan movie we covered at the beginning of the year, I think. Temple Hills, Marty Bowen, Wyke, Godfrey, and John Fisher will produce the film. Described as a love letter to basketball, the original Pepsi Max advertisements showed Irving in full makeup playing a 70-plus-year-old man, Drew, who would show up to pick up basketball games and school kids half his age, while also reminiscing about how the game used to be played. Apparently, they sold the pitch to Fox 2000. There, there you have it. So uh, all you sports people out there, let us know what you think. Because, I mean, I have no idea who Kyrie Irving is or who this Uncle Drew character is. But it's it, this reminds me a lot of the cavemen thing. They were like the Ge- Geico cavemen dudes from the commercials. They tried giving them their own sitcom. And it lasted 
maybe one or two episodes. So I just, I'm curious to know if this can actually be possibly something, not just a Johnny Knoxville bad grandpa, but with basketball knockoff. Uh, and then lastly here, quickly, IndieWire.com, Suspiria uncut 35 millimeter print has been discovered and will screen across the country, written by Zach Scharf. And it says this, The Chicago Cinema Society, via Dead Central, has announced it has discovered an uncut 35mm print of Dario Argento's Suspiria that hasn't been screened since at least 1978. The print was found in the storage room of a closed Italian movie theater and is in such good condition that it will be touring around the country this summer and fall. In an official message posted on their website, the Chicago Cinema Society wrote... The Chicago Cinema Society is excited to announce that we have discovered an uncut Italian 35mm print of Suspiria. The print was rescued from an Italian cinema that had closed down, and the print has gone untouched in their storage area since 1977 through 78. After a brief inspection to assess the overall condition of the print, it appears as if it had only been screened a handful of times at most... The print is in excellent physical condition with no substantial wear, uncut heads and tails, minimal fading, and no vinegar syndrome. Once we had the print in our film archive, we then made a very careful inspection to determine which version of Suspiria we had obtained. We are stunned to find that the print is a completely uncut six-reel print with a runtime of 98 minutes in Italian language. End all quotes there. The article does go on for a bit more. If you're interested in catching one of the showings of this movie when it travels, uh, well, hopefully in July, September, October, and early and late fall, you're either in New York, Nashville, Tennessee, Brookline, Massachusetts, Seattle, Washington, L.A., or Chicago. So when it says it's traveling across the U.S., (laughs) it's not really... Across, they mean it like literally just going across the U.S. without making a lot of pit stops. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. I've been a big fan of Suspiria and Argento. Uh, we covered Dario Argento and Suspiria, uh, I think, three three Halloweens ago. It, it's, it's just a lot. Of, it's a beautiful film. It's a lot of fun. And I am very interested in seeing it in its original Italian cut without all the the dubbing and and whatnot right on man right on well i guess that is going to bring us to the end of the news and get us to our bonus segment which is creme de la crap hi can i help you yeah can i have a dozen red roses please oh hi johnny i didn't know it was you here you go that's me how much is it it'll be 18 dollars go keep the change Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. And on this episode of Creme de la Crap, uh, we're going to be covering uh, Savage Beach, which is uh, actually the fourth movie in the Andy Sedaris collection. This is Savage Beach. In Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Undercover federal agents Donna Hamilton and Taryn Kendall save the country from drug smugglers. In Picasso Trigger, 
they save the world from the brutal hand of an international assassin. In Savage Beach, they are the targets for murder. This time, they'd better save themselves. Good idea. Donna and Taryn crash land into the center of a search for a ton of gold. Where there's gold, there's greed, and murder rules the land. A paradise haunted by a mysterious presence. Take cover. This is no ordinary day in the sun. Terror reigns on the shores of Savage Beach. It follows Picasso Trigger from 1988. Now, um, we didn't realize this at first when we had come up with the um, uh, segment. Uh, um, but I went ahead and watched uh, as a double feature. I watched them both today. Watched Picasso Trigger and Savage Beach, and, and I'm actually glad I did because it gave me a better appreciation for Savage Beach. Um, we, not realizing at first that this was a big, huge collection thing when we first went and did um, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, we then went back and watched Malibu Express, which was first. And of course, Malibu Express was a resounding no. For both of us in terms of, you know, creme de la crap. Um, but then you bounce that against Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And, of course, Hard Ticket to Hawaii was. And then we go and I looked at Picasso Trigger. And what's interesting is, is not only does Picasso Trigger actually complete kind of the first trilogy. Because it actually picks up right at the end of Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Um, we then kind of continue with a few of the characters from that trilogy going into Savage Beach, and it kind of starts a new storyline. Um, the other thing is, is that, believe it or not, the movies, when you look at them chronologically, do get better. Now, I'm not saying that they're all of a sudden good movies. I Think of it like when a preschooler brings home a finger painting versus when a kindergartner brings home a finger painting. You know, objectively, they both suck. But there's usually improvement, right? I mean, you know, you can at least kind of see that the kid was making a house or something, you know? Um, also, with Picasso Trigger, we actually got the advent of real actors. So you have people like John Aprea, who is the bad guy in Picasso Trigger, but now is a good guy. Completely different character, by the way, um, in, in Savage Beach. And also, um, I can't remember if it was Kickboxer or I think it might have been Kickboxer. It's either Kickboxer or Bloodsport, whichever one that, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, where his brother gets, you know, all sorts of beat the fuck up in Thailand, and so Jean-Claude Van Damme comes in to, you know, avenge his brother. That guy is in Picasso Trigger. And then we come to Savage Beach, and Savage Beach, again, has uh, John Aprea, who is also John Stamos' dad in Full House. So, I mean, you know, it's all interconnected, right? Um, and then, if you remember, the Asian guy who hits Mel Gibson with the electricity and stuff and is torturing him in the very first lethal weapon. He's in Savage Beach and stuff like that. So, like, they're actually getting some, like, actors that you at least would go, hey, I've seen that guy before. And what's so funny is that when you see someone like John Aprea, who is 
at least a decent actor. I mean, really and truly, this guy is a decent actor. And then you put him in the room with these other actors and actresses that Sedaris is always working with. And I mean, it's like, it would be like watching me try to go up and act in the same, in the same scene as fucking Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, it would be a joke, right? Um, so you, you can clearly see that even an okay actor you can see what real acting looks like. <laughs> oh, all right. So with all that out of the way, with all that out of the way, let's talk about Savage Beach. Savage Beach, as the notice, is um, the whole organization here of people who work on, in Hawaii and Molokai and everything. Um, they are basically uh, sending the two main girls from Molokai, Donna and uh, Taryn, off to help this hospital get some medical supplies. And while that's all going on, they are also, um, there, there's also a gold, a treasure hunting expedition for gold uh, that was supposedly stolen from the Philippines by the Japanese during World War II. And now you've got um, the army trying to recover it, the Philippine government trying to recover it. You've got... Um, gangster style actions and other terrorist groups going after it and who's going to get it and where does the group you know where did donna and taryn fit in all this so that's kind of the plot of the movie um we also th this this probably has one of the single best lines that i even better than the whole eat another man lunch thing or something from hard ticket to hawaii this movie has <laughs> Is that a snorkel in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> it's a fucking snorkel in the dude's pocket. <laughs> oh. And the nonsensical nature of this film is just so ridiculous. It There's just so many levels of bad to this movie, and yet there's improvement, like... The, the, the music is getting somewhat better. The score is getting somewhat better. Um, as compared to Malibu Express, it's like a bajillion times better. Um, they, they, they seem to always have a reason for everything that they're doing. Uh, like they're trying to set the stage. So it's like, Hey, let's change clothes. Okay. Uh, why are we changing clothes? It doesn't matter. Just we need to change clothes. So some, for some reason, it's a legitimate reason to change clothes, but they have to show the whole scene of them changing clothes. And while, yes, I guess it's an excuse to show boobies, um, even then you're just kind of like, well, this isn't even fun and sexy, silly boobies. This is just literally they're just changing shirts. <laughs> so... And there's there's stuff like this in the movie all the, all over the place. Like, hey, let's let's go get into this car and leave. Okay, so they take it the whole time to just go all the way over to the car, get in the car, and drive away. Um, and, and it's like, guys, do you not know what the exposition? I mean, that that's what the cuts are for. So you break away from the scene when they say, yeah, let's go, and then you and then you stop there, and then you cut to when the car pulls into the parking lot. See, that's, we don't need to see them go, okay, and then walk over to the car, and get into the car, and drive away, just so you can then them drive back up again, and the best part is, is when they're like, when, when the plane, they, they, they have to send, they have to save this medical, this hospital, 
and they're bringing medical supplies, supposedly in a storm, and it's literally just them spraying hoses in front of the camera. Like you can, <laughs> you can see, you can the, see the blue sky. <laughs> you can see the blue sky in the direction of the water just falling in front of the camera. And so, what do they do? They literally just almost like play and rewind when they need to leave the island again because they've landed in the weather. Now they have to take off in the weather, and they're all. It's basically. They just kind of do the same thing in reverse. Like, they literally just mirror the image so you can see them taking off again. Uh, it's stuff like that. This was also the first time that they actually went so far as to use a model. They use a model of the airplane and, and, and <laughs> instead of just constant, you know, uh, pan shots and stuff, pan and scan shots. And, and it's the modeliest looking model airplane. Oh, God. Isn't it, though? <laughs> oh, my God. So but what, did you, what did you think about the sex scenes, the two sex scenes in this movie? Uh, well, I mean, they're with the they're with the guy at least. Oh, and that the guy, guy that they don't want to see do it. I mean, it was he was like the, the greasiest looking motherfucker. And the funny thing is, he was he was the ultimate bad guy in the previous movie. <laughs> they just literally put some really crappy black hair dye in his hair and then slicked it back and stuff. Oh yeah, it was awesome. So is he not Hispanic? Is he not Mexican? He's, and that's the thing. He's supposed to be playing a Filipino guy. And he's clearly, like, got the worst fucking Mexican accent I've ever heard. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. But what I liked most about the, not the first sex scene, but the second sex scene in the car was how they seemingly were really doing it in a car and they had a light. Like, to, to light the scene in the car while the dude's driving around. So when they, like, pull away and the car's going, there's a big bright white light in the car. As it's, yeah. like, singeing his ass. <laughs> that just, they're, they're, oh my god, I don't know. It was, um, definitely, definitely good. What, my favorite though, come on, how about old man, how about Japanese warrior guy, huh? Japanese warrior guy. And they, like, he puts the mud on his face so that now the old age makeup, Looks literally like a mud mask that's about ready to come off. Like it's time to take the mud mask off. Yeah, if you're planning on watching any of these movies with your penis out in your hand, firmly grasping it, especially this one is not that type of movie because there's a lot of like stuff that'll that'll kind of gross you out. And that guy's face makeup just really. Gr- I mean, I wasn't like doing that. Kind of oh, no, took me back. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And the thing is, is that what's so what's so funny about this movie is its nonsensical nature. Like the and when I say nonsensical, I mean like they think they're making sense, but the writing is so bad and they don't know it. Like like Hope Marie Carlton and Donna Spear have actually kind of gotten halfway decent as actresses in terms of at least now that they're in their like third or fourth movie, they at least kind of have a grip of what to do when they're on set for these yeah. movies. Well, yeah, they're in on it all by now. Yeah, so so they they seem a lot more natural now. But so so it's like they're delivering the lines competently, but the lines are just fucking stupid. So like at one point, 
Taryn's tied up. Donna is escaping from her ropes. And then the Chinese or the Japanese warrior guy, old man, uh, goes and comes at him with the sword. And Donna's like, you move and I'll kill you. And he just kind of grunts at her and then looks at Taryn. And they just share this moment. And then he just swings the, the his samurai sword and then cuts the cuts the bonds and Taryn is free. And meanwhile, Donna's staring there, sitting there holding the gun on the dude the whole time. So Taryn asks her, why didn't you shoot him? <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, that's not what it's like. What if he had decided to kill me? And she's like, that's just a chance I was willing to take. <laughs> And she was serious. And Taryn's like, okay. And then they just, so all of this nonsensical nature that you see, it's absolutely hilarious. And then the fact that the last three movies, so Hard Ticket to Hawaii, um, and then Picasso Trigger, which I know you guys, you know, you haven't seen or we haven't talked about yet, uh, and Savage Beach, all, all three of these movies, um, even though Savage Beach is its own, new plot arc that it's starting all three of them and like a sitcom or uh like a like certain anime series where they all get together at the end and talk about the fun that they had well this was great and what did you learn and wow let's go do this okay and then ha 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 pause while they hold the their champagne glasses in the air and stuff and then you know directed by andy sedaris yeah that that ending (laughs) bugged the shit out of me like (laughs) It, I mean, it's, it's just it's, it's so pretty funny. awful. I mean, it's so it is funny. funny. Yeah, and so and but the thing is though is that so I get really really torn with this movie because because the filmmaking has improved so, to the point that now it's just bad. It's getting harder to find the blatantly hilarious stuff to laugh at except for this nonsensical stuff because Andy Sedaris is not a good writer and so at the end of the day I am giving this a yes for creme de la crap because it's just so fantastically awful where you're laughing enough at the situations that it still makes it funny um but I mean at this point it's getting like just barely like it I almost said no to this. I really did. I almost said no. But but when I think back to things like the the retarded gas can sitting in the stupid rubber boat that's just open and says gas on it, and I think about all the signs that they hung everywhere. They hung a sign in the parking garage so that you knew they were at the computer command center. <laughs> Like, we already knew where you were going. Why did you hang a sign in the parking Over one parking spot. It was just one parking spot. And they hang a sign that says Computer Command Center so that they can then just walk across the street to go into the building that then also has the exact same sign that says Computer Command Center. So it's stuff like that. It's just such bad writing. There are funny things in there. But honestly, because the competence, the competency has come into play it's harder to find those things to laugh at so i'm worried that this is going to be the last creme de la crap um but i am it did edge just barely into yes for me so 
now that I have talked this into the ground, Tim, yay or nay? <laughs> and any other <laughs> thoughts, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, before I get to my final yay or nay, I'm, I'm going to play a little, couple little clips here to uh, <laughs> get you in the whole mindset of how ridiculous this movie is and to see if you actually believe me when I say that this is the most unusual of the ones that we've watched uh, of the Indy Sedaris films. But so here, here's a quick clip of a scene that features double entendres. Agent Hamilton? Agent Abilene. I want you to see the special equipment I have for you. Well, we're pretty isolated here and I don't always get my share. Are you comfortable with a big gun? They have their advantages. This baby's larger than most anything around. Well, I'm not as impressed with size as I am with performance. Once loaded and cocked, all you need is a steady hand on the barrel. And what about the actual shot? You won't be disappointed. I'll be the judge of that. What about this crossbow? Ah, that's for Taryn. This arrow has an explosive charge that ignites three seconds after penetration. It's only good for a single shot. That's her problem. You heard the double entendres, and and you heard when Matt was talking about some of the quotes. Uh, One quote you did uh, miss, though, was uh, the great quote towards the end of the movie where one of the bad guys says, Eric, let's finish these guys off with our hands. Yeah, I could use a practice. <laughs> that's that's Fu. That's Al Long who plays Fu. That's the guy from uh, Lethal Weapon that zaps fucking Mel Gibson. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, his name's Fu. Was the other guy named Kung? I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you have like the other stupid uh, guy. <laughs> Like he's like the Bosley of this group, Shane Abilene. He was uh, he was the guy in the double entendres clip I just played. Like it's crazy because he's like a stud dude. He bangs hot blondes, flies a helicopter. He looks like Uncle Jesse when he's wearing his sunglasses. But he is a god awful douchebag of an actor. At least that's what he comes across as. Like he knows he looks good. He knows exactly why he's in this movie, and he slept with everybody in this movie possibly everybody as in everybody he just kind of came across that way but then again like whenever he's flying the helicopter he couldn't just have taken a couple flying lessons and just had a pilot the helicopter when they showed him landing the helicopter you're missing the air quotes because it's goddamn obvious that that guy is not piloting the helicopter that no that was totally realistic (laughs) Everything in this movie is totally realistic. Yes. The gangly-looking Weasley guy piloting the... Okay, and I'm sorry. I I apologize. That did remind me of something. So when the girls are taking off in the private jet at the end of the movie, okay, they've left the other two, the, the... the CIA guy and oops, spoiler alert, the CIA guy and then captain guy, right? Mm-hmm. Did you notice 
that it wasn't two girls. It was Donna Spears in the left seat and then a guy wearing a wig in the right seat. Who was really? actually Yeah, I was actually piloting it. No. Did you like do research or did you No, just I just look? happened to you notice it, it and I rewound it and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's a dude wearing a wig." <laughs> but then you have so. like all the like the random shit in this movie. Like there is like this doctor, I think the character is like Dr. Santos or something. He's only in it for to answer a phone call. But you see his office and he has like hun- it looks like hundreds of fucking trucker hats just hanging on the wall in the corner of his office. Just like a, a lot of like really weird, ridiculous shit like that. Like there's a gift basket containing a gift basket for these like secretive political agent people or whatever the fuck they were. A gift basket consisting of entirely of bananas oranges and Budweiser cans perfectly like on top of each other that somebody who just didn't give a fuck who's not a, a probably I don't know if they're I mean I don't know if they were like an actual crew person or what that just kind of just threw it on top of each other but then probably the most awkward thing in this movie is closer to the beginning is when you actually see children they look like they're <laughs> refugees like kids are featured for a very awkward two minutes it felt a lot longer than two minutes but little did they know that pretty much every single person watching this movie will more than likely be weirded out as shit when those kids come up on the screen. You know, I think but when it comes down to it, yes, I do think it is creme de la crap because I kind of think this movie is, is more serious than the other movies that we reviewed of his. Like, he's actually trying to tell a story. It's more of an adventure flick and an action flick. And he's, he's attempting to, to try to get the audience behind the lead characters and maybe to root for them a little while. Because that scene that Matt mentioned where they're just randomly changing in the airplane in the cockpit... That happened like 21 minutes after the last shot of boobs, you know? So it's like a, like the movie can go a full 21 or 22 minutes with like dialogue-heavy scenes with like acting in it and somebody's on their deathbed talking about shit, then they have to throw boobs in, in there. So he's actually trying to make a movie with this one. And how about, how about that? That whole plane ride. I love how the refueling thing worked, right? When they're refueling the plane at the hospital. And she's just like barely got that little hose attached to the wrong part of the plane. And then they just yank the hose. And there's no fuel. There's no fuel coming out of that hose. Nobody turned the the fuel off. (laughs) And that little tiny fucking cargo plane is supposed to fly ten and a half hours nonstop. Which they say in dialogue. <laughs> they make a point to say that this got to make a ten and a half hour flight. Yeah. Uh, and that's not even the best dialogue. For me, the best dialogue was how when they go to the, at the Japanese admiral who's relating the story of how the gold gets to the island in the first place. And that whole scene is in Japanese. I'm sorry, the whole scene is in, it takes place in Japan, uh, or at least as near as we can tell Japan. And then they're speaking in English. And then the admiral has his flashback and they showed the flashback and all of that happens in English. But the Japanese guy, as he dies, only speaks Japanese, and thankfully we got good old Captain <laughs> Captain Chuckles nearby, who can magically translate Japanese into English, and has not done so at any previous point in the movie. 
it was creme de la crap for all those reasons. I actually, the only thing I wrote up about this movie was about the ending and how I was expecting it to either go one of two ways. We'd either get to see like vignettes of each of the couples that end up getting together. I would expect to see them like in the sack, getting it on with one another. Or if we don't get that, maybe the scene of them laughing and clinking their glasses with the wrap it up music in the background playing, the scene will dissolve into a harmonious orgy. Let's toast to the warriors of all nations. Cheers. 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 You know, our calculations indicate that there were six gold bars missing when my unit collected the goods. Uh-oh. But I convinced them that they were wrong. Hmm. Taryn, are you at it again? You bet I am. <laughs> I'm still a civilian, remember? You mean you know where the six missing gold bars are? According to international maritime law, I'm entitled to them. They were in the ocean when I found them. Besides, do you know how much it's going to cost to repair our plane? Enough about gold bars. How about some R&R? Lieutenant Bruce Major, or whatever it is that you call yourself, do you dance? I think so. Uh, Rocky, you do have those little feet painted on the floor, don't you? <laughs> you bet I do. Let's give it a try. Shall we? And what about you, Captain Andreas? Yeah, Captain. What about you? I'll try anything once. Or twice. Mm. <laughs> Guess that leaves us, Shane Abilene. You've kept the home fires burning, and I love loyal men. I'm honored. Well, you play your cards right, you'll be more than honored. I knew that. You knew that? I knew that. But we didn't get that instead. <laughs> you know, we, we got we got double entendres and no boobs. But, you know, it's creme de la crap. It's not a total boob fest and sex fest. It seemed like he was trying to make more of a movie this time around. So I, I actually had a lot of fun watching it. Oh, well, then it's a yes for you as well? Yes for me as well. Right on, right on. Okay, well, then next week... Uh, we are going to be doing a Did It Age Well? And we're going to be covering 1997's Air Force One. Yes, that one is also now 20 years old. And so, without further ado, I think it's now time for the movies. Is it not? That it is. Then let's go, folks. Here we go. It's the movie. We <laughs> And this week's movie, because, yeah, we screwed everything up last week, so now we only have the movie this week, is Cars 3, a 2017 American 3D computer animated sports comedy drama film, of course, from Pixar, distributed by uh, Walt Disney. Pictures uh, stars Owen Wilson, Cristela Alonzo, Chris Cooper, Army Hammer, Bonnie Hunt, Larry the Cable Guy, Nathan Fillion, Kerry Washington, and Leah Delaria. You are about to become the biggest brand in racing. Movie deals, infomercials, product endorsements. You think you're famous now? <laughs> we'll be rich beyond belief. Mr. Sterling, what is this about? Your legacy. 
every time you lose, you damage yourself. I'm sorry. Your racing days are coming to an end. We can only hope that this race today wasn't his last. I decide when I'm done. How are you feeling? I can't go out on the track and do the same old thing. It won't work. It's futile to resist change, man. You know what I'd do? What? I don't know. I got nothing. I am so excited to train you. I like a challenge. <laughs> I call you my senior project. Jackson Storm set a new record today when he pulled off the fastest lap ever recorded. Have you seen the latest record Storm's been set? Have you given any thought to retire? And the Queen, over here! This is my last chance, Cruz. Last! If I lose, I never get to do this again. Don't fear failure. Be afraid of not having the chance. You have the chance. I used to watch you on TV, flying through the air. You seemed so fearless. I wish I knew what that felt like. You'll never be as fast as Storm, but you can be smarter than him. The racing is the reward, not the stuff. Storm's chances of winning are 95.2%. So what we're seeing is um, time has passed and we have gotten back to the the true world of cars which is lightning mcqueen racing in the piston cup and lightning mcqueen's actually kind of starting to uh, struggle as as his career is moving forward because he's not first every time but you can definitely see that the previous two movies he's he's continued to grow he's really a good racer now but he's also a good car right he's got a good soul and he uh He's and yet he finds himself starting to age, and there's a new uh, car called uh, named Jackson Storm, and he's the new generation of racer, and it's starting to displace, uh, starting to displace the old guard, and in a freak incident during a race, Lightning McQueen takes a lot of damage, um, and now he has to fight his way back. Can he overcome his demons? Can he become the racer that he once was? Or will he be relegated to the past? Much like his old friend and mentor, Doc Hudson. But even if you think you're relegated to the past, are you? These are the questions that get asked and answered in Cars 3. Um, and for me... What a fucking return to form. Thank you. I really feel like this is Cars 3. We're really, really sorry about that second movie. Um, I really and truly felt like this just was what the doctor ordered. I was very trepidatious with this movie. Um, with all of the issues that Cars 2 had, mainly trying to make more of the world than there really was to try and make also with the promotion of Larry or I'm sorry of Mater to you know from second fiddle to primary role 
Um, there was just a lot of missteps. This was all, and, and undeniably, like it or hate it or not really care, Cars 2 was the first misstep that Pixar had. Um, critically, commercially, um, it was still successful, just was not as successful. It was also their first not-so-great critically received movie. This movie definitely sought to address all that and did with flying colors. What it did was it still lets you have everything that you remembered from Cars, all of the characters that made Cars great, um, and brought all of that, all of the heart, all the soul into it, but also was able to successfully move the story forward. Because you just can't tell the same thing all the time. We've already seen redemption. We've already seen a comeback. We've already seen you know, the movement of someone who was, who is supposed to be the second fiddle into the primary role. All of these things get revisited in this movie, but yet are done much, much more slickly. Um, the movie just, everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody seems to really feel comfortable in the roles. The writing was well done. And honestly, the only drawback to this movie is that it doesn't bait and switch you in any it really, but it does it does tend to try and make you think it's going one way, even though they've given you the seeds to see that it's not. And so it's simultaneously kind of predictable, but trying not to be predictable and it so it gets a little wonky in the second full half of the movie it gets a little wonky um and it tries to be a little too sentimental at times um and and i get why but at the same time um, it wasn't heavy-handed but it started feeling a little hokey that being said, you are going to love this movie. I really feel that this is where the franchise should go. And honestly, they've also, the other thing that they've done is that they provided a really good way for if they wanted to do another one, they've got the legs to make it work and work well because there are now new ways to bring in um, more characters and feed into better things, but they can also just let the let the series end as is it's a fantastic movie 4.25 out of 5 bring us home tim i enjoyed it for the most part and that is really all i can say positively about it uh, i thought it looked good i thought the story that they were trying to tell was good uh it just i thought that it was kind of a missed opportunity the teaser trailer where it was Lightning McQueen rolling over and, and damaging himself or itself or whatever, it, I thought that was very dramatic. And I was expecting this movie to be more dramatic in nature. And in some ways it is. It is definitely not very funny, not very sweet. Maybe at the end. I really like how they did like the passing of the torch and, and whatnot in some way. But the movie as a whole, it's not very funny. It's not very sweet. It tries to be, but it really doesn't land. I enjoyed Cars 1, and I've enjoyed it more over the past couple years after revisiting it. I liked it a lot because it was a damn good story. It was original. It was beautiful to look at. The characters were great. The, the script itself was fantastic, and... 
the humor was just genuine. That's what we kind of lost a lot in the second one. And the second movie I thought was fun and interesting what they were trying to do. But after watching it again recently, it was more of a mess. And they were just, they kind of jumped the shark. Even though I think if like a few more passes and a few more treatments of the script, maybe it could have been a little bit uh, better. But um, I I do think that they're going in the right direction if they do continue to make other Cars movies. I kind of wish the third one was a little bit smaller. I wish it would have been more about his journey to become Lightning McQueen again. uh, Because with that trailer, when, you know, it's, it's dramatic and he's kind of, you know, it's a horrible crash... I wasn't expecting to see him bounce back in like four months, you know, where it just kind of flashes, flash forwards, and then he decides quickly that he's going to go out and try it again. I kind of wanted the movie, at least a huge chunk of the movie, to take place during that time to watch Lightning McQueen find himself or itself or whatever, both physically and philosophically, you know, as, uh, you know, whether it be his passion, his job. They could have played around like just is racing just his job or is it his passion? Is it his livelihood? There's just more like dynamic, dramatic stuff they could have played with. But instead they kind of go the kid route where they have to lighten it up a little bit more and throw him in the derby then get him back on out on the track. And I just felt it would have been more of an emotional punch there at the end when he does decide to do the right thing, the noble thing and pass the torch. And I really do like that. And I kind of wonder if in another 10 years or so, if we'll get a Cars 4, but it'll be like the Creed movie of Cars where he's going to be the Rocky Balboa character and he's going to be training this, the young car that'll take over his spot. You know, like like what Doc Hudson did. He'll be the next Doc Hudson. I don't know. But I do hope they make one more movie, but maybe focus on something like that because I think it's very interesting. And... With this movie, it feels like Disney is wanting to go more into the direction of making more mature-ish type of movies when the core of the film is still very much a kid's movie. I do like that a lot. But uh, Cars, I give this one a 3 out of 5. I enjoyed it. I'm definitely wanting to rewatch it again. It just might be one of those movies that just gets better after each viewing. But as of right now, a 3 out of 5. Right on, right on. Okay, well then that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be Beatrice at Dinner and Baby Driver. So, without further ado, I believe that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we're of course the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLScast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can also follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on on Stitcher Radio. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to us sharing the same birthday and J.J. Abrams, I get to say this. I believe in anything 
that will engage the audience and make the story more effective. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, farewell, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. That'll do, Pig. That'll do. Well, that about does her. Wraps are all up. Things seem to have worked out pretty good for the dude and Walter. I guess that's the way the whole darn human comedy keeps perpetuating itself down through the generations. Well, I hope you folks enjoyed yourselves. Catch you later on down the trail. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>